0: Well, everyone knows that the earth is round, correct? Right? Like, this is a verifiable fact. Uh, it was theorized as far ago as six as hundred B.C., and so everyone agrees that the, the earth is round, right? Yeah. Well, not so much. There is actually a... <laughs> A growing movement of people, of YouTubers, of websites, of Facebook pages with 100 plus thousands of followers that believe that the earth is not round, but that the earth is flat. Have you heard this? The the flat earthers? Recently, a poll showed that 84% of Americans said that they have always believed that the world was round. 84. And if you're between the ages of 18 and 24, that number is more like 66% believe that the world is round. <laughs> 66 is, is is dangerously close to half. That <laughs> half the world believes that that the world is flat. <laughs> like what? What's happening here? Like this is, this is just wild. Like, celebrities are, are believing this. NBA stars are, 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 are believing this and vouching for this. Many are holding to this, and you just want to say, why? Well, here's what they would say they, they think the Earth is flat, and so that as you get closer and closer to the edge, uh, at the edge of the Earth, you're not just going to, you know, we might say, well, you're just going to fall off into a, like a black hole like in Mario Galaxy. No, we've got answers for that. We have a wall of ice that that surrounds the edges, and so there's this great big wall of ice that would keep you from falling off the edges. Okay, okay. But let's say you decided I'm gonna push through that wall of ice and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to see what is at the edge of the earth. Well that's when NASA and other governments don't want you to know the the truth and so then they, they get you and they silence you. So that that's why you haven't heard more people talking about this because There's a conspiracy to stop you from knowing about this. But if you still somehow are able to manage to get past this wall of ice and trek the thousands of miles of freezing tundra past NASA and all of the evil governments out there, what you might find is you might say, well, then now what happens when I get to the edge of the earth? They would say this is what happens is is what's called the Pac-Man effect. Okay? So, you know, the, the very sophisticated thinking. The Pac-Man effect, where time and space and reality just shift to where you you start on one edge of the earth, you're going to walk off the earth, and you just end up on the other end of the earth. How does that happen? It, it sounds amazing, right? Like, <laughs> Now, what would I have to do or say to convince you that... This is true. Like, like, what do I have to do to convince you to, to believe that there is something so far out there, like the flat earth theory, like something so far outside of the normal realm um, for you to believe me? Like, you would say, either I'm selling something, you, like I have an angle, or you would say, okay, Slim has lost his marbles. <laughs> He's loony, right? Well, what if I believed something so radical, not, not the flat earth theory, but let's say it's something that, that is just as absurd to the the normal eye and the normal ear, something so wild like the resurrection. Like the resurrection that that the dead come to life, that those that are dead will, will come back to life, not like zombies, but like fully alive. And I would say there are those out there that would say this idea of a resurrection is just as ridiculous as the flat earth theory. And so what would I need to do to persuade or to convince you of this truth? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the gospel and the three ways that you are able to respond to it. We're going to look at Acts 25 and 26, uh, but our scripture reading will be just be a portion of that. We're going to look at Acts 26 verses 13 through 32. And so please stand for the reading of God's word.
1: Good morning, Mosaic. I'm so heartbroken that I'm not there worshiping with you guys, but it has taken a couple of weeks to self-isolate and to make sure that I'm safe and everybody in our corner is safe. But I'm really excited to be back with you guys next week. But I'm gonna be reading today from Acts 26, verses 13 through 32. At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and that those who joined with me And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of satan to god that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me therefore o king agrippa i do not disobey i was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in damascus then in jerusalem and throughout all the religion of judea and also to the gentiles that they should repent and turn to god performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing, to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, as uh, flowers fade and the grass withers, Lord, we know that your your word will stand forever. And so, Lord, would it... Um, be as real to us today as it was when it was written 2,000-plus years ago. And so, Lord, would you and your Holy Spirit make the words not just be something that we, we uh, agree to and maybe go, mm. <laughs> Lord, would it change us? And so, Lord, would you transform us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul, you, and I um, have what the author Alan Noble calls a disruptive witness, that we have a disruptive witness with the gospel. The, the, the gospel is this disruptive message that demands a response. And so if, if you're new with us this morning, uh, we've trekked this, this huge mountain that we'll call the book of Acts. And we've been going through it for a long time now. And we are now in Acts 25 and 26. And over the last few weeks, we've, we've had this character, a guy named Paul... Uh, who has been on trial for a while now. And at just like in today's trials, it's not a quick process. Paul has been on trial for a little more than two years now, and he's 100% innocent. And it's his fifth time having to give his defense before uh, governors and, and high priests and, and about to be a king. And so last week, we saw that Paul was given his defense before the governor, Felix. And Felix was replaced by a guy named Festus. Easy to mix up those two names, right? Festus, though, uh, is new to this gig. He, he's not used to being a governor and, and presiding over these cases. And so as, the, as King Agrippa comes down to meet this and greet this new governor, he then says, will you help me decide on this case? And so he presents the case to Agrippa. And what's special about these two chapters in the book of Acts, which is why we're doing two chapters here together, is because we get to see the three responses that one can have to the claims of Jesus that Jesus didn't claim to just be like a good moral teacher and say, this will be helpful for you in life, take it or leave it. No, Jesus claimed to be God. Like he claimed, he'd say like, the the ground you're standing on, I I created that. And if anyone ever came to me and said that to me, I would think they're one of these options. I would say that they, when someone says crazy stuff like that, they're either a liar, they're either a lunatic or I guess they're telling the truth, and they are the Lord. And so these are the three options that we have before us, either a, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And yes, C.S. Lewis gave us these names, to, uh, these three responses to this, but they're exactly what we see in the text here. So the first response that Jesus um, claimed to be who he was is that he was just a liar, or in our case here, that Paul is a liar. And so the high priests, the Jewish contingent are asking I wish you weren't a liar. <laughs> <laughs> or like Wesley and the Princess Bride, you know. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Me- meaning, what is Paul's angle? What does he benefit from from believing this? Because it's clearly not true. And so if he were to say it, how does it benefit him? What, kind of, what kind of, you know, what we should do is just follow the money. I think that's a good. to remember when we see things that don't seem right say follow the money and in Paul's case what's helpful for us not necessarily him is that he doesn't have any money and so there's really no benefit to him the only money he had was to give to the poor in Jerusalem and so but they still don't believe him and in chapter 25 verse 7 says when he had arrived the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove in verse 8 Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. And so the Jewish people believed (laughs) believed Paul was so corrupt that he was spreading such lies that they were willing themselves to sin and lie against Paul, that he cannot speak any further because he himself is, is, is spewing lies. And so the gospel is, it it is theologically offensive. It is is offending these Jews. And and it's got these theologically offensive claims, like one of Paul's claims in Romans 3. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. So though you may have been the chosen people, that doesn't absolve you from the fact that you are dead in your sins and in need of a Savior. And, and the right response to that would, would be, oh my gosh, well, well, what can be done? Like, how, how, who will deliver me? How can I be saved? That would be the right response to, to someone pointing this out to you. Or you can respond this way. You can go the, the how dare you route. You've seen this route, right? You know, don't you know who I am? Don't, don't you know we're the chosen ones? We're the chosen people? I mean, can't you see yourself maybe responding in such a way that someone's pointing out your sin? And there's this part of you that, that, that is this entitled, narcissistic self that would want to say, how dare you? Right? We, we, we all have that inside of us. The gospel is going to tell you first that you are dead in your sins, and that is theologically offensive to you. But on top of that, the gospel is now being spread to the Gentiles, which is the word for the nations. And, and, and that is also offensive to nationalists. Like, the gospel is for anybody. The gospel is for anybody. And we'll, we'll give the... the the people here, a little break. God did indeed call the Jewish people His chosen people. But Paul makes very clear that not all Israel is actually Israel. And when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came, I mean, it was no holds bar. And so that that no matter your ethnicity, no matter what family you were born into, no matter if you have money or if you want more money, the gospel is for anybody and everybody but let's not forget that it's for somebody. It is very specific. It is very particular. And it goes towards those who say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And so the gospel is, is radical and it is offensive. It is reaching all these, all these different types of people, but it is for very specific people. And Paul goes on to, to, later to tell the king and the governor in chapter 26, verse 22. He says, I stand here testifying both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Nothing but what the prophets, the minor, the major prophets of the Old Testament, Moses, all, all of the, the first five books of the Bible, nothing of what they have been predicting would come to pass. Paul is saying, I'm on trial because I'm answering the question that the Old Testament is demanding of its reader. The Old Testament is a, is a collection of books that demands a conclusion because it is saying, we, we, we need this Messiah. We need this Savior, this Rescuer to, to come and to deliver us. Like, we, it's all being pointed towards a Messiah who will come and who will right all the wrongs. Like, who will rescue us? Who will deliver us? We need a better prophet. We need a better priest. We need a better king. And Paul says, what I am telling them is that the king has come. The king has arrived. Like We need to hear that today, that the king has come and that the king has arrived. I'm not saying that the earth is flat. I'm I'm answering the question of what the Old Testament has been asking for. And and for you to say that this this is benefiting me, that I'm lying about this, just look at my chains. How has this benefited me? Except I'm just answering this this logical question that the Old Testament is building up towards. And so one response to Jesus' claims is that he's a liar. Which doesn't seem likely given how much it, it, it killed the leader, Jesus, and it is now imprisoning Paul and many of his followers. But another is that he's a lunatic. And let's be honest, like Christians are just a little nuts though. Like <laughs> Sometimes they sound like flat-earthers the way they speak. And this new governor, Festus, his, his response to Paul is that he's just insane, that he's a lunatic. You know, Festus is new to this ruling thing, and so immediately he, upon arrival to this justice seat, he's like, let's take an easy case. Oh, <laughs> it was like instantly he takes Paul's case, and he realizes this is not even a case. Why is this even being brought before us? But he's also very political, and so verse 9, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on the charges before me? And this would have clearly been death for Paul. Like, if he would have been charged in Jerusalem, he knows that nothing good would have happened there, like the, the very bedrock of Judaism, right? And if he were to go to go to have the trial in Jerusalem, like, that was just like trying uh, his case or trying a case in Monroe, Alabama, if you're black. Like, it would not have been good. But two, there's also a lynch mob waiting to get him on the road to Jerusalem. And so Paul Paul absolutely does not want that. And so in verse 10, he's, Paul says... I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If I then am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. And so he's at a loss and he says, I appeal to Caesar. He's appealing up the the their court system there, all the way to the top to Caesar. And then in verse 12, then Festus says, when he had conferred with his counsel and answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Festus doesn't want anything to do with this case, like, he's writing up this legal document to send Paul to this court of appeals and all the way up to Caesar, who was Caesar Nero, who at the time, they don't know yet how evil he was going to be. Um, but he's he's trying to prepare this document uh, to, to send Paul up. And then Agrippa comes with his sister, Bernice. And many assume that there was a very incestuous relationship going on there. Uh, his sister comes with him. And and Festus asks Agrippa for help on how to word this case. In verse 26, Festus says, But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. (laughs) Yes, yes, Festus, that does seem unreasonable. But as Paul shares his defense again, that um, this time he's getting more specific of, of what he believes. And when he makes his, his, his gospel clear to both Festus and to Agrippa, he distills it all down in, in chapter 26, verse 23. Paul says that the Christ must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying the gospel, which literally means the good news, the good news is that Christ must suffer. He must die as penalty of sins and rise from the dead first, because we will rise with him too. And then he will proclaim the light or the truth to both the Jew and Gentile alike. And so it's just like standard stuff, All that Christ does for you and me that we think is standard now, but it's radical in that time. And in verse 24, and as he was saying these things, it being interrupted in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And I had to yell it because it says in a loud voice. (laughs) Sorry to wake some of you up. Festus hears these claims that the dead are going to come back to life. And he's like, you're crazy. You've lost it, Paul. All your PhDs have made you lose it. You've had your head so far in a book, you don't even know what's happening. You're, you're a lunatic. You're insane. And Paul responds, I'm insane. I'm insane. You know who's insane? Your dad's insane for marrying your mom, Festus. That's not actually what Paul said. Um... That's probably how I would have responded. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Paul actually responds much nicer verse 25. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent, Festus. You can see how he controls himself. But I am speaking true and rational words. He's saying Christianity is rational. (laughs) Like, yes, it's full of miracles. And I just explained the resurrection, this miracle. But it is rational because it means you don't have to check your brain at the door. Because we have proof of these things. We have had the testimony of hundreds of people about this. We have eyewitnesses, as Paul says, for this has not been done in a corner. Like, this wasn't created in a lab or, it, or in the room where it happens. Like, this is this has been out in the open. Christianity has a public witness. Jesus' last three years of life, he had this very public ministry where he was going around telling everyone the gospel and he was telling everyone... Uh, his claims of divinity, that he was God. And again, if someone claims that they were God, people would wonder, this guy's either lying or he's a lunatic. But he then attests to those claims with all of these miracles. And so we see dozens and dozens of miracles in the gospels of Jesus proving that he is who he says he is. And those are only the recorded ones. And there's probably hundreds and hundreds of miracles that Jesus did over those three years to prove that he was the creator of heaven and earth. And so Jesus is doing all this. And I think one of the the hardest for us to question is after he has been publicly murdered and lynched, that everyone saw that even the, the, the Josephus, the historian has written about, outsiders have written about. So we've all seen that he's dead. And then he comes back to life, and he appears to so many people. And at one point, he appears to 500 people at once. And so we have eyewitnesses that have both seen him dead and now have seen him alive. And you say, what do we do with that? Well, maybe they're all just hallucinating. 500 people hallucinating at once? Is that our defense against this? He's speaking very rationally. He has a well-reasoned argument that, that includes eyewitnesses and facts and proof. And so he, he turns his, his, his mind from Festus to the king. And so if Jesus is not a liar, if he's not a lunatic, he must be the Lord. He must be telling the truth. This makes me think of in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, this, this book or some of y'all seen the movie, when, when Lucy and Edmund go to Narnia, And this is Lucy's second time and Edmund's first time. No one believes that this this place exists. And finally, Edmund goes. And when they come back, they're so excited to tell their older brother and sister, uh, Peter and Susan, about that. But then Edmund, in this very ugly and, and unusually cruel way, denies that this world exists, even though he was just there, to make Lucy sound crazy. And so Peter and Susan believe Edmund and are worried that Lucy might be crazy. And so they they seek out this professor whose house they're staying in at this time, and they're telling him about the situation. And I love his response. He goes, logic! (laughs) Why don't they teach logic in these schools? There are only three possibilities. Either your sister is telling lies, or she is mad, or she is telling the truth. And you know she doesn't tell lies. It's obvious that she's not mad. And so for the moment then, the only, unless any further evidence turns up, we must assume that she is telling the truth. And so Paul isn't lying. Like, it has not benefited him one iota. He's not mad because we see the logic and the proof, and so we must assume he is telling the truth. But to reach Agrippa... he he realizes that this, is, this, this tactic may not work. And so he may not, you know, some different, there's different ways to reach people. Some, some need an emotional plea. Some need, some need logic and, and, and rational reason. And some just need to hear your story. And, and we get the third time Paul is going to tell his testimony in the book of Acts. And he, he gets to tell his story. Because people want to know, yeah, you've, you've talked about what you believe, but I want to know, is it true for you? Like, You said you believe in this, but how has it changed you? Does it actually matter to you? Does it matter deep down in your heart? Like this is why Amazon and Google reviews are so important because people need to know that do real people, does this affect real people? Do they care about it? Do they have a good product review, right? (laughs) Like how has the gospel gripped you? How would you answer that if someone asked you? And so Paul boldly tells his story, his testimony again. He tells about how, how the light shined from heaven and, and, and overwhelmed him. He, t- he told him about how he was, he was once killing and, and overseeing the deaths of Christians, but that the light shined on him and, and, and changed him j- dramatically. And that, that Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he changes him dramatically. And then he tells, then, then Paul then goes boldly to the king in verse 26. For the king knows about these things, about what he's, the gospel has been being, building up towards in the Old Testament. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. This is a bold move here for Paul. He knows the king is familiar with these stories. He knows he's he's half Jewish himself. He knows how it's affected him. He's just told how it's affected Paul. And so he knows these things are true. He's heard about it. He sees how rational it is. He's told how it's affected himself. And so you just imagine this this great story of the king giving his life to Jesus and, and everything being happy. But that's not what happens and I think some of us know this, tru- this truth, that even in the face of overwhelming evidence, even in the face of, of what everyone would say, this is true, there, there's a time when the blinders are on and people just won't see what's right in front of them. And it, it makes us realize it's going to take a miracle for that person to believe. And, and the good news is that same miracle that 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 will take them to believe is what God performed on you. So that it was a miracle that I ever believed. It's a miracle that Malcolm ever believed. and It's a miracle that God grips you and he can grip that, that person you doubt will ever know Jesus. Because he comes after the least, the last, and the lost. And so he's presenting this case to Agrippa. And in verse 28, Agrippa says to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Which is like this nervous laugh at Paul like, are you actually trying to persuade me? And Paul's answer is so good. Verse 29, and Paul said, whether a short time or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And so this witness, this testimony is so radical. It is so disruptive. It demands you either accept it or you reject it. Like we no more half-hearted beliefs in the gospel. Like, is the gospel real or is it not? Because if it is real, it is the best news in the world. Like, it is the most liberating and free news in the world. And so Paul says, Absolutely, I wish that you would believe. I wish that you would hear me and believe like me, except for these chains. Because yes, we're saying that you are a sinner, but we're saying that you are saved by a savior. It is the best news in the world. Be free. Yes. And if you believe the gospel, you have the best news in your grips. And you can't just sit on that when you have that news. You have to have a public witness. Like, it has to change you. We have a disruptive witness to proclaim. The gospel is a disruptive declaration. We can't be afraid of the rejection. Because when people are rejecting it, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. Whenever the word goes out, it will either harden a heart or it will soften a heart. Every single time. I think many of you are nervous that I'm now saying let's all get together, and go door-to-door evangelism, which would not be wise on many levels, but (laughs) I also don't think it's effective. Um, But wherever you're at, in whatever spheres of life you are in, you have a story to tell. You have a story of how God has gripped you and reached you and continues to work on your behalf. And so we want to share that. And so you see how, I mean, I just want to look at how burdened Paul's heart is here. I mean, (laughs) Paul's heart was burdened by their chains, not his own. He's burdened by their chains to their sin and their slavery to sin, and not his own, not the physical chains he's in. I mean, if, if you don't believe you are enslaved to this sin, you have, the, you have these blinders on, and Paul is begging them to see the news right in front of their face. I wish that you would believe with me. And, and so I'll just be straightforward here today with the, with the applications. One, believe and be saved. If you don't hear Paul's argument again and again and again, and let's talk. But two, have a public faith. I mean, Christians, we have a disruptive witness. We need to be public about it as, as we see how, how effective it will be. But three, and I think many times it's easy for us to see ourselves as, as the hero in the stories, right? Right? Like we see the story of David and Goliath, and David is slaying Goliath, and we're like, "Yes, and we're hearing these stories, in movies, and movies are like, "Now go slay your Goliath." You're like, "Yes, I will be like David." But the Bible doesn't paint you and me in that light, though. The Bible actually paints us in a different light. Jesus actually boldly tells us that our Father is the evil one that Jesus is telling us that you're not as good as you may think you are. We are Goliath. That needs to be slayed. And so let's not be, be so quick to put ourselves as the innocent little heroes of the stories. Let's start to see ourselves as the villains in Scripture, the ones that God overwhelms and overcomes, not to destroy but to deliver from their sin. And so see yourself as the high priest or as Festus or as Agrippa and and responding in in a myriad of negative ways to the gospel. How how do you respond in these negative ways? And so I just say, repent. Repent of the ways we push back on the theologically offensive things in Scripture. These things are hard, but they're true. And then I would say, repent of how we tone down the radical claims of miracles. It sounds preposterous, but they are true. And I would, lastly, I'll say, repent of our indifference like Agrippa. Agrippa was almost a Christian. I mean, he was almost persuaded. But almost a Christian is not a Christian. And I worry many of us are almost Christians. Or we, we understand it. It sounds good. But it doesn't do much to us. It doesn't actually grip our hearts. And so, repent of the ways in which we've become numb to the gospel. If you want to be persuasive in sharing the good news, you yourself have to be persuaded. And so, like Jesus asks Peter, ask yourself this, but who do you say that I am? Not, not who, who others say that I am, who do you say that I am? Is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic? or is he my Lord?